Father, we're so thankful that we can bring our sorrows, our cares, our troubles to you with confidence because Jesus has walked in our place. Because he suffered, not just as we suffer, but even more. He's tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he overcame, so that through the blood of the Lamb, through the sacrifice of his life, we too could overcome. Lord, thank you for being a friend who loved us, who sacrificed for our well-being that we could be connected with you. May our lives honor his sacrifice. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In this series, Encounters with Jesus, we have been exploring the conversations that Jesus had throughout his ministry that have helped us understand who he is and what he was about. And if you remember, we started by looking at the encounter with Nathaniel, who was having one of those mornings under a tree, thinking about life and, and the kingdom of God. And Jesus revealed that he was the one who had come to establish God's kingdom. Then we talked about Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel, the spiritual leader in the entire nation. And yet Jesus revealed to Nicodemus that if he was going to be a part of the kingdom of God, he had to let go of his spiritual resume and be born again. And then through the encounter with the woman at the well, we learned that not only does God pursue those who seem to be lost, he cares deeply about those who might be labeled as too far gone. We are never too far gone to connect with God. And then there was the rich young ruler, there was Zacchaeus, who the wee little man, you remember he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Last week we talked about the man who was wavering between belief and unbelief because his son was possessed by a demon. All these encounters help us understand Jesus, his heart, his passion, and of course his mission. Now I want you to think about this. I'm going to ask you a question. From your perspective, from our perspective, what do all these people have in common? Okay, all of them, they're, they're different, and yet there's something they have in common. Unique before their encounter with Jesus, their lives radically different after their encounter with Jesus. What do they have in common? Now, the answer I'm looking for, there are lots of answers, but the answer that I'm looking for is so obvious that I think if I gave you all day, you wouldn't get it. All right? So do you, do you have an answer? The, the answer, are you ready for this? The answer is that we will never encounter these people ourselves. Does that surprise you? We will never encounter them. We may meet people like them, 
We may know people who share their struggles, but we're not going to encounter Zacchaeus or the woman at the well or Nicodemus. We're never going to meet them. Now, about this point in time, I would think that you're probably thinking, okay, Pastor Obvious, of course we're not going to encounter them. They are dead and gone. As a matter of fact, we are never going to encounter anyone that Jesus encountered in his lifetime. But that's not true. In fact, we will. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' enlightening encounter with someone that we will not just meet, but someone who we will encounter consistently throughout our lifetime. As a matter of fact, day by day, we encounter this same individual. Now, who might that be? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 where we find the story of Jesus' encounter with the very same individual that we encounter daily. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Oh, that guy. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. By the way, if the image that, you, that comes into your mind when you hear the word devil is like the horns and the tail and all that stuff, forget it. Okay, that's a caricature that our enemy created to cause unbelief. The devil, who we'll talk about in a moment, is real. Jesus was hungry. He fasted 40 days. Verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to, if you worship me. It will all be yours. Jesus answered, "It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only." The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. And then there's a twist. Satan, the devil, still talking. For it is written. Oh. He knows Scripture too? For it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes that we could see wonderful truth in your word, 
And Lord, that we would have the courage and the wisdom to submit to your truth and apply it for our transformation. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, in, in the, at the beginning of his ministry, just after his baptism, Jesus has this encounter with the devil. It happened. Who's the devil? He is the fallen angel who led a rebellion against God and took a whole lot of other rebellious angels with him. He was cast out of heaven and he established the kingdom of darkness. Satan is the prince of darkness. And by the way, he is behind every temptation to evil. Satan is behind every temptation to evil. In that way, the temptation of Christ means that Jesus interacted with the one we encounter on a daily basis. Now, the Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. In other words, he encountered the enemy just as we do. He was tempted by the devil, who is the author of every temptation to darkness just like we are tempted by the devil. Now, here's what we need to recognize about these encounters with the enemy and why we stand to learn so much from looking at this particular encounter between Jesus and the devil. Here's the truth. The core purpose of every temptation is the same. The core purpose of every temptation is exactly the same. The devil's objective is to break our allegiance to God and coax us into joining the rebellion. He wants us to believe that we can get what we want or what we need without God. That's the idea. Now, of course, God could provide it, and Satan doesn't really care if you believe that or not. God could provide what we want or need, but we can too. And by the way, we can have a lot more fun doing it our way than God's. In this sense, every temptation is the same. It is an inducement to rebellion. To being the boss of our lives. But in another sense, we need to understand that every temptation is different. Okay, every encounter with the enemy is unique because we are unique individuals with unique weaknesses that can be exploited by the enemy. Okay, so in our weakness, the devil comes to us and says, hey, God's way is the long way around, or it's the hard way. You don't need to suffer unnecessarily. Take this shortcut. It's the easy way, and then you can get where you want to go doing it your way. You can get there God's way, or you can get there your way too. And your way is going to be easier and much more fun. This way, much less painful, much more indulgent, much more enjoyable. Now, even though every temptation is different, 
The universally shared objective of every temptation means that we can learn about overcoming temptations from this very encounter between Jesus and the devil. And there are three simple lessons that I want us to learn from this encounter today. Three things. First, a passionate, wholehearted commitment to God does not exempt us from temptation. Okay, I'm going to say that again. A passionate, wholehearted commitment to God does not exempt us or protect us from temptation. Now, this may seem self-evident, but, but let, me, let me say this. There's a large segment in the Christian world today that believes that if you are close and committed, if you are walking harmoniously with God, then you'll be protected. You'll be protected from temptation. Now, by the way, we should pray, lead us not into temptation. But, walking closely with God doesn't mean that He's going to prevent us or protect us from being tempted. Jesus' encounter with the devil tells a very different story, doesn't it? Who was closer? Now, what catches us off guard about the temptation of Jesus is when and how it happens. All right, the, the event immediately preceding the temptation in the wilderness is the baptism in the Jordan. Okay, it's, it's his baptism serves as Jesus' coronation for his public ministry. It was really his coming out party. It's where God looked at him and said, he's the one, and Jesus launched his three-year ministry. Do you, do you guys remember what happened at the baptism? Listen to what Matthew tells us in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. He was baptized by immersion. He went up out of the water. At that moment, as soon as he came out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, this event launches Jesus onto the world stage. The Spirit descends onto and into Jesus like a dove. And at that moment, a voice from heaven announces Jesus' true identity. God's Son, God's beloved Son, who pleased the Father with, with His willingness to bring light into darkness. From that point forward, Jesus would be working in tandem with the Father and the Holy Spirit to change the world, to save the world, to redeem those who have been separated from God by sin, by the efforts of the enemy. Now, think about this moment for Jesus. There is absolutely no doubt this was the high point. He was affirmed and confirmed from heaven. And Jesus, at that moment, was ready to get to work. But what's interesting is what happens next. 
the very next thing. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan right out of the water and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You understand what happens here? Jesus comes up out of the water. He's encouraged by the message from heaven and is immediately whisked away by the Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil. That seems discouraging, doesn't it? Actually, it, it, it might even be worse. Mark puts it like this in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. At once, at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, Mark confirms what Luke tells us. There is no delay between the spiritual high of the baptism and the confrontation in the wilderness. No delay. But what I want us to dial in on here is the description of the Spirit's role in Jesus' wilderness ordeal. Okay, if you remember, Luke said that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Mark says he was sent by the Spirit. Now, actually, the Greek word that Mark uses there is the word that communicates being driven out. Okay? Just as Satan was driven out of heaven in rebellion, it is the same word that is used in the New Testament of Jesus casting out or driving out demons as a matter of fact, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the word used to describe what happened to Adam and Eve after they fell. They were driven out of the Garden of Eden. Now, what does all that mean? It means that it was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who would not let Jesus remain on the mountaintop of spiritual exhilaration, but he actually drove him out of that safe space and into the barren wilderness of temptation. Now, here, this is interesting because we, we, all, we would love to hop from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. But the life of Jesus, this experience of Jesus, lets us know that it, the mountaintop is not our privilege. It's a blessing. It, it's not the place we are designed to stay. It is an experience that encourages us and gets us moving and prepares us for the valley, for the wilderness. Jack Levinson put it like this in his wonderful book, by the way, The Unconventional God. It's a study of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. But this is what he wrote. The Spirit, therefore, drives him away from the blessed assurance, all those assurances he received at his baptism, that he is God's anointed, God's beloved and God's servant. The Spirit drives him away from that blessed assurance 
and I'm quoting, to a world in which all these assurances are tested and tried in the crucible of hostility. Now, we typically operate, if we're honest, with the faulty notion that if we are walking in rhythm with God, we will sort of float above the fray. That will rise above testing and temptation. But Jesus' experience with temptation quashes that notion. Absolutely. The Spirit not only allowed him to be tested, it actually pushed him into the wilderness where he was tempted and tried by the devil. It was a season of testing for Jesus and preparation. See, it prepared Jesus for the greater temptations that would come as his body was being torn apart on the cross. Jesus the beloved Son of God sent to save the world was not exempt from temptation. And neither are we. By the way, we're not excused with what we do with it either. But we're not exempt from it. No matter how good we are or how much faith we have, or how much Scripture we know, the fact of the matter is, the closer we are to God and the stronger our faith, the more the enemy is going to come after us to challenge our allegiance to the Father. The servant is not above the Master. We're no better than Jesus, and we can expect the same treatment. Okay, no matter how close we are with God, we are not exempt from temptation. And understanding that helps us be ready for it. Second, while we use scripture, should, must use scripture to overcome temptation, we also have to recognize the enemy uses it to tempt us. Have you ever noticed that? We use Scripture to overcome temptation, and then the enemy uses it to tempt us. Now, hold on. All right, let, let's look at this. Jesus overcomes each of these three temptations that he faced in the wilderness with Scripture. Remember the first one after fasting 40 days? He's hungry, understandably. Satan steps into that physical weakness by tempting Jesus to turn rocks into rolls. Jesus swats that temptation away by quoting Scripture. It is written, man does not live on bread alone. In other words, our true sustenance is spiritual sustenance that comes from God. Then, Satan actually tempts him with a shortcut to becoming king of the world. The message there was, look, you don't have to die a cruel death on the cross. Who wants to sign up for that? Jesus didn't. We know that because we heard what he prayed in the garden. 
So Satan says, look, you don't don't have to go through all that. I've got a shortcut for you. If you just bow your knee to me, you can have it the easy way. It's it's a pain-free shortcut. You worship me, and I'll make you the king of kings. But Jesus resisted that temptation by quoting Scripture, saying it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. O for two. The enemy struggling. Jesus standing firm. But it is this third temptation that Luke cites that's most alarming to us because Satan uses Scripture. He takes Jesus up to the highest point in Jerusalem, which happens to be the temple. And there he says, listen, if you're the Son of God, he was, if there was any doubt that Jesus wasn't convinced by the message in the river, if he, if he in the flesh wasn't sure, if Satan said, I've, I've got a perfect, way for, a perfect way for us to find out. Let's test it. If you're the Son of God, like you think you are, then let's find out for sure. Throw yourself down from here and see if your Father in heaven will catch you. There's a test. Oh, by the way, the Scripture says He will. This is Satan talking. Luke chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. For it is written... He's quoting scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. (laughs) What a turn of events. Now the prince of darkness is using the sword of the word of God. He's using scripture. By the way, this scripture comes from Psalm 91. It's a psalm that happens to be addressed to those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High God. So, what does Satan do? He takes Jesus to the place of that shelter, which is the temple, the presence of God. And once there, the devil quotes the text correctly. Just as it's written. This is a promise from God. Psalm 91 says, He will not let his foot strike a stone. So the devil has the scripture right, but he was taking the promise out of context. The promises there in Psalm 91 are for those who through fidelity to and love for God reside in the presence of God. Through fidelity to and love for God, these people live in the presence of God. Faithfulness to God is the condition of the promise as spelled out in that psalm. So, Satan, using that scripture, twisting it, 
to get Jesus to see if God will be good to his word, to stand by what he said. Now, in addition to the twisting of that scripture, he denies the rest of scripture, which clearly teaches, and this is important, that divine rescue may not come before suffering, but through it or even after it. So, Satan's saying, Jesus, you can get out of this suffering, but the teaching of the Word of God is that God's rescue comes through suffering or after it. Now, what does Jesus, how does he respond? He doesn't deny the validity of God's promises that Satan quoted. Those promises are good. They represent God's Word, but he does deny their appropriation appropriation and their applicability in the context. In that context. The promise would be voided if Jesus bowed his knee to Satan. So the devil wanted Jesus to put God to the test. To see if God would stand by his word. And how does Jesus respond to that distortion of Scripture? He responds with Scripture. It is said, or it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, what's the message for us? The enemy has no new tricks. The Scripture's clear. There is nothing new under the sun. The enemy that Jesus encountered acts just like the enemy that we encounter. He twists Scripture. For those of us who are committed to Scripture, He can use Scripture, twisting it to distort the truth and thereby preventing us from walking in the protective shelter of God. He tried to do it with Jesus. He'll certainly try to do it with us. Let me give you two examples. Satan has used Scripture to lead many Christians to believe the lie, and it is a lie, that the abundant life that Jesus promised is primarily about health and wealth. It's not true. It does not. It is about peace with God and the fruitful flourishing of our souls. That's abundance. Second, he's taken the second greatest command, which is to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and convinced many in the church that love demands that we affirm and encourage lifestyles that are completely contrary to God's teaching on righteousness and purity. It does not. It does not. Loving people does not mean standing down while they stumble to destruction. It means courageously, lovingly standing up for the truth that will set them free to flourish. If we don't share the truth, who will? 
It is not loving to let people destroy themselves, to further mar the image of God in which they were created. It is loving to tell people the truth, to point them to the way, to challenge them when they are moving away from God to turn toward God and see the hope that we all have in Jesus Christ. That's the loving thing to do. Not to allow them to stumble to destruction. Now, understanding that the devil will twist Scripture means that we must know God's Word inside and out. The reason Satan couldn't get Jesus on that little trick in Psalm 91 is because Jesus knew what Psalm 91 said. He understood the context of Scripture. He understood from beginning to end that God does not promise that we won't suffer, see Job, but He does use suffering to make us better if we stay committed to Him, if we love Him and practice fidelity to Him. Now, we will not be able to withstand, see, all the people that are confused by those distortions I just mentioned, We will not be able to stand if we don't know and cherish the Scripture as the words of God and the words of life. So, we need to know God's Word from beginning to end so we can apply it wisely and in the right context. Because here's the truth. If Satan had the temerity to tempt Jesus through the distortion of Scripture... He will certainly twist it against us. Now here's the question. Are you prepared? Can you withstand that type of temptation? Do you know God's word? From beginning to end, you can honor its context and follow its teaching. How do you get to know God's Word like that? Well, you have to read it. You can't just let me read it to you and say, okay, I've got it. It's got to be a part of your routine. It it should be a commitment that you have made and you keep on a daily basis. That you're remember, man can't live by bread alone. Yet we're committed to that three times a day. We live by the word of God. And so, at some point, you just have to make the commitment. You just have to determine that you're going to be a person of the word. Read it. And you know what's really cool about God's Word is that when you read it and you choose to follow it, to apply it, then you see it come true. It confirms itself. And the more you live it, the more you know it. And the more you know it, the more you live it. That's what happens to transform us 
so that we are conformed to the image of Christ. The Scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How is your mind renewed? It's by feeding it the Word of God. It creates new thinking patterns that will enable us to be transformed. So, when the enemy comes to us, distorting the truth of God's Word, we are prepared. He did it to Jesus. He tried it. And he's going to try it with us. Are you ready? Third, we need to understand this. The enemy never rests. So we can never let our guards down. The, the, the last verse that I read is one that we just like speed through without ever going, what is he talking about? Luke chapter 4, verse 13, what does it say? When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him. We usually just stop thinking right there. Okay, he left him alone. What does it say? Until an opportune time. Jesus crushed him. In the wilderness, he crushed him. But like a weeble wobble, he would not stay down. He was looking for an opportune time. The devil left Jesus after he failed to trip him up in the wilderness, but he wasn't done with him yet. There were other temptations to come, not the least of which, by the way, was on the cross when Jesus was surely tempted to call those 12 legions of angels that were available to him to rescue him from the brutality of death and the separation that he would experience from God through his death. And if you don't think Jesus was tempted to leverage those, the power of those angels, then just go back a few hours and see what he did in the garden when he prayed and he was so stressed that his sweat was like great drops of blood. And he prayed, Father, if there's any way that this cup of suffering can pass from me, if we can, if we can change the world in any other way, then let's do it. I don't... I, I, I don't want to die on the cross. He was fully human. He experienced the pain of that just as we would. And oh, by the way, the separation from God much more than we would because he had never been separated from the Father. It was when Jesus received the wrath of God because he took our sin on himself that he was separated for the first time from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he was tempted was to avoid that God-forsaken moment. But he didn't. Why? Because, because when he prayed, knowing Satan would come back, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He would not take the shortcut. He stayed there. He died on the cross and by the way, accomplished for us victory over death 
this is the good part, and temptation. And temptation. See, because Christ withstood the temptations of the enemy, we are more than conquerors through him who gives us strength. Because he was victorious, we can be victorious. Now listen, I said this earlier. I think you may have gotten a little bit nervous. I said that our closeness to Jesus will not prevent temptation. But you know what it will do? It'll help us overcome it. Jesus was led by the Spirit or driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, but it was the presence of the Spirit in the wilderness that helped him overcome the temptation. It is the presence of the Spirit of God when we are practicing fidelity to him and loving him. It is his presence in our lives through faith in Jesus that enables us to overcome temptation. Jesus has overcome the enemy. He overcame him through temptation in his lifetime, and he ultimately overcame him when he was raised from the dead. And in him, we are victorious. We are victorious. So how do we deal with temptation? Listen, it begins victory begins with faith in the one who was tempted in every way just as we were, was invited to join the rebellion, yet did not succumb, but won the victory. Jesus said he has overcome the world. Jesus overcame the enemy. And by the way, he did it for us. If he stayed in heaven, he would have never been tempted. He would have never suffered. He would have never been tried by the enemy. But Jesus denied himself. Emptied himself. took on the very nature of a servant and died on the cross so we could know victory. Every person is tempted. Believers and non-believers alike are invited to join or stay in the rebellion against the one true God. But as believers we are empowered to overcome. If you're not a believer, victory is found in Jesus alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father or knows the victory except by Him. We bow your heads and we're going to pray? Actually, I just want, I just want to have a little quiet space here for you to respond to what God might be saying to you today.
maybe there's been some error in your thinking that you need to confess and move away from, move into the truth. Maybe Satan has distorted your thinking about what you're entitled to. Maybe God has used the study of his word to help you understand that Satan is real. There is a, he is a dark force behind that sources evil. And you recognize that there's victory over that darkness through faith in the one who came to turn the light on, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're struggling with a temptation and you just need to pray and ask God to help you overcome. Maybe God has convinced you today that you need to become a person who cherishes his word so you can live in his victory. Father, we're, we're thankful for Jesus who not only gives us life, but who brings us victory. Lord, if, if there's anyone in this space today or who is watching online or will be watching online that the Spirit is leading them to place their faith in Jesus, I pray that they would have the courage to step into the light, to trust your truth, to trust Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that he came to identify with us, to suffer as we suffer, to be tempted as we're tempted, to die as we will die physically. Most importantly, Lord, we're thankful that he was raised from the dead so that we can live eternally. May those who do not know Jesus today place their faith and trust in him. And Lord, may those of us who do live victoriously in the light of your love and the truth of your word. It's in Christ's name I pray.